Hello and welcome to the Lebanese Politics Podcast. My name is Benjamin Red. I'm joined with Nizar Hassan. How's it going, Nizar? Good. How are you? I am doing good. I'm uh, I'm feeling a bit more rested uh, since we took uh, a couple of weeks off. What about you? Yeah, feeling better. Yeah, and like I, I don't feel fully rested, but I feel better than I was feeling during the campaign. Right. I know it was very overwhelming. Yeah. So uh, a lot of stuff has gone on since we last spoke. We've had two weeks now, basically, and this episode is going to be a little bit different from the way that we normally do things. We've got a lot of stuff to cover, and so we're just going to sort of plow through a whole lot of things that we think you should know. Some things are more interesting than others. We'll yeah. concentrate more on the more interesting things, I think, and then we'll we'll wrap up with looking forward and what's going on with the uh, formation of Kitlis, uh in Parliament and the formation of a, of, of a government. Uh, which we're going to start seeing the process of next week. So quickly, just to wrap up with the elections, there were, there was some aftermath that we should discuss, right? So there was the aftermath, the, the security aftermath, to begin with. Uh, right after the election happened, there were just sort of roving bands of young men going around. I know in Beirut it was a big deal, uh, going around on, on motorcycles and on scooters and stuff like that. Or a lot of our listeners probably heard about the planting of the Hezbollah flag on the statue of Al-Hariri right near the, the coast in Beirut. And, and there were also just security concerns about this as well. And so what they, you, you, you ride a scooter, right? What, what did they do? What they, what they did is basically every time these um, young men are celebrating anything, be it a Real Madrid victory or a Hezbollah victory in the elections, it's almost the same thing. Uh, so they, they go around with these scooters, they're celebrating, you know, they're claiming the space, claiming the city and uh, expressing how proud they are, etc. So this time it was about the elections, um, Amal and Hezbollah supporters, very young men, starting with like at, at like 14 15 years old till maybe yeah. 20 this young uh going around and kind of provoking a lot of people while they're doing it so there were a lot of um, clashes with supporters of hariri who felt really defeated with the beirut with the elections uh, results in beirut second it uh, provoked uh, some a few clashes and it created a situation that reminded us of the may 2008 clashes between Hezbollah and Hariri supporters. I mean, to be fair, that was very different, right? Like that—that that was on a, a much larger scale uh, and a much more organized scale. Uh, but but it started uh, like the 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 scene was started was created in two thousand eight in a very similar way. Okay. Young men on motorcycles having clashes and then things developing into more like military kind of activities. Right. So then the army was the army or ISF. They deployed. Yeah, and, army. Yeah, and basically what set up a whole bunch of checkpoints and stuff like that to exactly. tamp down on this behavior. And they banned motorcycles for a week, which ruined our lives. Okay, <laughs> everyone who rides who rides a bike in Beirut had a like a horrible week last week. So, move around. Sort of off topic, but so like I've heard that there's this like weird camaraderie between like motorcycle course, riders yeah. here so like if, the, if there's a, a a checkpoint ahead like somebody will come up to you next to you on the scooter and be like exactly. hey 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 don't go there there's a checkpoint there exactly. i'd turn around we always do that <laughs> look out you got each other's backs exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome and on on a less fun note uh also we had uh, someone killed in clashes in shwefet mm-hmm. um so what happened there um, there was uh, the, some tensions between the supporters of Erslan, the head of the Lebanese Democratic Party, and the supporters of Jimblad's uh, Progressive Socialist Party. 
and uh, the tensions escalated into a little clash and then the incident what the incident that killed Ala uh, Abi Farash who is by the way who is the cousin of one of our activists in the campaign so we extend our condolences as well um he was killed with uh, when the offices of the PSP were bombed with a B7 uh rocket uh, I don't know if you call it rocket but it's like B7 an RPG weapon. right RPG is the same thing okay yeah um so they uh, they bombed the office and he died but he was not involved he was not really involved in politics he was like a civil defense uh, firefighter or he, he's very involved in community activism and like a local uh, volunteering and stuff so he was really well respected and there was this huge thing about it things people were expecting it to escalate you know people wanted revenge his family and surrounding so things were um, calmed down a little bit when Jumblat and Derslan made the efforts to cool the tensions I mean, prior to that, though, there was there was all this rumors flying around that Erslan was harboring the fugitive, which is insane. And and this yeah. we, we don't know. We still don't know. This guy's still at large somewhere. We have no idea. Probably Erslan, in Syria. That's what we heard. Erslan denies that he was harboring this guy, but he wasn't Erslan's supporter, right? Yeah, actually, he was a security official in the party, which is why allegedly Erslan has tried to cover the the situation by securing his passage this is the these are the news that we received that he secured his passage to Syria but nothing is confirmed okay so also in this electoral aftermath that we have uh, we've got a report from the Lebanese Association uh, for Democratic Elections alleging a whole lot of stuff that went on during the elections you you read the report pretty thoroughly what's in there yeah very briefly Lade the Lebanese Association for Democratic Elections has said before that there were like around thousand seven thousand violations in uh, the elections but now we have more details that give us some insight on the size of these violations and how they might have influenced election electoral results and the one thing in particular that was very interesting is the 479 ballot boxes that were lost quote-unquote and uh, the results of these ballot boxes were annulled so they were considered zero votes for each of them um, usually there's like a few hundred ballots in each box, right? Definitely, yeah. yeah. Usually it starts with maybe 150, 200. It depends. And in the embassies, it's different than in the local Oh, were these, were these boxes coming from the outside? Yeah, all of them okay. were coming from outside. The, okay. On the local level, we have m more boxes, but I'm going to focus on the ones coming from outside because there were 479 coming from 232 different polling stations in 40 countries. And uh, so what happened is they didn't reach the counting centers here, okay, the, the center where they're supposed to be counted. Uh, so instead, they just put zero on each of them. So, for example, in Ottawa, there was a center when where 139 people voted or something like that, and then zero votes are counted. So people people's votes have not been counted. So if there were 479 boxes lost, this means that perhaps we have around 50 to 200 votes in each of them. We're talking about thousands and thousands of votes that have been lost. So... And, and just to, like, put the point on this, of th this could have actually changed the outcome in certain, in certain races. Because if we looking at the, the final results from the Interior Ministry, we have a race in, in Tripoli, for instance. If 25 votes would have swung from Hariri's list to Karami's list, Hariri would have lost a seat and Karami would have gained one. 25 votes. Only 25 votes. It was all that was needed. And so certainly when we're talking about violations like this, you know, even a small change, even just a, like a, a few dozen votes could have made a difference, uh, at least in, in this one race, which was, I think was probably the closest in, in the country. 
but there were other races as and well. And I'd like to say about that specifically that in Tripoli, fifteen ballot boxes were left, so uh, were lost. So we're talking about much more than what you need to to flip the whole this situation. Right, right, it, and I mean it, it could go either way. Like, Obviously. but we just don't know because the ballot box. In Shufan Alay, where Mohab would have been MPs if he got three hundred additional votes, uh, the Kulnawatan list needed three thousand, and all of these are within the range of the twenty-four boxes that were lost. So it's it was really it's really huge violation. Like the size of the violation could be uh, threatening to the electoral results if the Supreme Court of Lebanon, which is the Constitutional Council, takes an aggressive action. Right, and the the deadline for filing, I think it's June 6th or somewhere in there. Uh, The beginning of June, like basically a week into June, is the deadline for filing any sort of uh, appeal for the elections. But it seems to me as well, though, that like everybody seems to think, no, things have finished. Like, yes, people will be appealing, but there is zero appetite, uh, at least amongst the political class here, to relitigate anything or Uh to, to even look into this stuff. Yeah, it's very improbable that anything will happen. It's just shows the size of the violations. That's it. Yeah. Another thing in the electoral aftermath was that the future movement just fired a bunch of people, right? Yeah. So we had Wissam uh, al-Hariri, the general uh, electoral coordinator, was let go. Mahar Abul Khudud, uh, with a follow-up office, was also let go. And then the coordinating councils and secretaries uh, for Beirut, Western Ba'a, Roshaya Ba'a, Al-Qura, Uzgarta, they were all dismissed. Which I think this is super interesting because I had had a future movement official swear to me that the future movement was not contesting the election in the North 3 district, which includes Qura and Zagarta, right? (laughs) They, they, what had happened there was that they, it was, it's a Christian district, right? And so the future movement was saying, we're withdrawing from this. Like they, they did have um, a couple of MPs in Kura and they said, we're going to withdraw from this. We're not going to have any, uh, anybody run here. We're going to let the Christians decide the, the outcome here because this is a Christian district. And so they had one of their, one of their current MPs. He was running again, but he wasn't an official future candidate. Mm-hmm. And so everybody was like, wait, is this sort of like a, a wink? And mm-hmm. like, you're, you're trying to have your cake and eat it too. And this official with the future movement swore up and down, like, no, this is not the case. We are out of this. We are not doing anything in the district. But in the aftermath, <laughs> in the <laughs> aftermath of the election, what do we have? We've got Hariri and co dismissing the councils and the secretaries for Kura and Zagarta. So clearly... They were very disappointed. Uh, I mean, their candidate did not win in, in Kura. So yeah, they they were they were clearly heavily invested in this district, despite claims to the contrary. Okay, the other official that left was, and this is the big bombshell, Nader Hariri, right? Exactly. He's the chief of staff for the prime minister. He's his cousin, the son of Bahia Hariri. Big big name. He resigned from his position, but I don't think this was due to the election. I don't know, but it doesn't look like an electoral thing. It looks like a bigger move. Right, right. So there was a really interesting piece a few days ago in Al Akbar. I forget uh, who wrote it, but it was they, they argued, I think, pretty persuasively that this had nothing to do with the elections because Nadarhari uh, was not involved in the electoral machine. Right. Mm. He was more responsible for making alliances uh, with other parties. He was more responsible for the selection of candidates, but he wasn't in charge of the get out the vote effort that failed uh, for the future movement. 
On the other hand, though, the, the argument was that Saudi Arabia didn't like this guy because he is largely seen as being responsible or in large part responsible for the future movement's alliance with the Free Patriotic Movement, traditionally considered part of March 8th, yep. uh, traditionally considered supportive of Hezbollah ever since 2006. So they wanted him out uh, is, is sort of what the, the, the argument Saudis. was. Yeah. yeah, the Saudis. Makes sense. And, Right. And especially with the other things that the Saudis uh, have been doing this this past week, we also saw Saudi Arabia and its Gulf allies, including Qatar, by the way, uh, and the U.S. In, uh, introduce like these rounds of sanctions against Hezbollah officials. It seems as though they are really going for it here. We had uh, just just from the American perspective quickly, we had three rounds of sanctions announced Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday relating to Hezbollah and uh, some of it to Iran as well. So on Tuesday, they sanctioned Iranian central bank figures, but also sanctioned uh, Mohammed Qasir, who they said was a financial conduit between the Quds Force and Hezbollah. Uh, on Wednesday, Wednesday was the big, the big one, the big reveal. They sanctioned like 10 members of Hezbollah and four entities and this was taken, the action on Wednesday was taken uh, as a joint uh, action between the United States and a bunch of Gulf allies. It's it's part of what, what they call the Terrorist Financing Targeting Center, the TFTC, right? And so the, the TFTC basically came out with this list of, na- of, of 10 names, all like very high-ranking Hezbollah officials, like on the Shura Council, you had uh, Hassan Nasrallah, you had Naim Qasim, and a bunch of other pretty well-known figures mm-hmm. and some lesser-known figures. So the U.S. already had sanctions on a lot of these guys, but the ones that they didn't have sanctions on, the U.S. applied sanctions on. And then all of these Gulf states, Saudi Arabia, uh, the UAE, Qatar, Kuwait and Oman, I believe, uh, and Bahrain, all of them introduce their own financial sanctions as well uh, on these uh, Hezbollah uh, uh, members, high-ranking members and officials, and then uh, a few related companies. Thursday, more of this followed. There were uh, a couple more Hezbollah officials uh, who they said were like financiers who were named uh, from the U.S. side alone. I'm, I'm not sure and if there was well, any Why do you think this is happening now? Well, it, it seems as though there was definitely a decision taken post-election in Riyadh to okay, no, we're gonna we're gonna go for this. We're gonna be very strong against Hezbollah. I don't. I think it probably has less to do with the election and more to do with the fact that Donald Trump pulled out of the Iran agreement. So basically, this is. It, it seems as though it's sort of a coordinated push against Iran, against the Quds Force, and against Hezbollah. So what that means, I think, is that there's more to come. And, and the people that I've talked to seem to think they're just warming up. So hopefully this won't get too out of hand, but uh, it seems as though more actions are expected. Yeah, but I think it's it's a bit strange that the Gulf countries, the sponsors of Hariri to a certain extent, are putting him in such a situation now, increasing the pressure on Hezbollah. They might be helping to balance things out a little bit after Hezbollah coming out strong from the elections. But at the same time, with all these sanctions, increasing tensions here and threatening stability, it would be, I think, a bit of a counterproductive move for them. Because if there is a chance that they maintain any kind of actual influence over the country, it would be through Hariri or someone who is like has a proper set of state statesmen and women who will run the economy, who will have the uh, positions in the administration, etc. 
So I think it's uh, a bit reckless. I don't know where they're heading. Uh, to be honest, I don't quite understand what the strategy here is either. I I think maybe that'll become clear in in the coming days. But then again, you know, maybe maybe there isn't a strategy as well. Maybe there's just they have a goal in mind and they're pursuing that goal, you know, and, and maybe they don't have necessarily the strategy fully thought out. I think that's also not necessarily the case, but definitely a possibility. Coming back to Lebanon, also we had the Constitutional Council who ruled on appeal. Uh, the uh, the Kataab party had challenged the 2018 budget. This was passed very, very quickly, yeah. uh, right in the lead up to the Paris 4 donor conference. And Kataab basically challenged everything about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Constitutional Council came out with their final ruling. And they, 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 they seem to agree with a lot of the points that Kataab made. You know, like, yes, the, there are certain things that should happen, like you should have a financial accounting before you have process. a budget, mm. right? Which constitutionally you should have. But like, luckily the Constitutional Council in this ruling said, well, we're not going to throw out the budget though, because this doesn't happen because that doesn't actually solve any problems. Like the budget is a good step towards getting back towards constitutionality. Mm. So we're going to keep that. But they did strike down certain provisions in, within the budget. Uh, and the most, I, I guess the most famous of those is uh, Article 49, mm-hmm. which says, like, it, it opens up a pathway for foreigners to gain uh, legal residency here by buying property and owning property. Owning which, expensive houses, basically. Yeah, yeah. And so Kataeb, during the election, had challenged this, saying that this, oh, this is unconstitutional because it opens the door, basically, to Syrians coming in and settling here. Mm. The court agreed with them and struck that provision down. And another interesting thing that happened last week was the cancellation of the Beirut Pride event, the gay pride events that take place in Beirut uh, by the organization called Beirut Pride, whose head was detained overnight, interrogated, and forced to cancel the events. And he was given two choices, we've heard. (laughs) One of them was canceling the event and signing a contract saying his, like an agreement saying he's canceling them. And another was canceling them and not signing the agreement. Or it was a very weird. But being prosecuted for that. Being yeah. prosecuted. Yeah. So he decided to uh, to sign the agreement, obviously, and the events were canceled. Helm, uh, the very famous LG, pro LGBT activist group, held an event the next day. Uh, they had like a little uh, press conference and a discussion about things. But in general, it created a lot of uh, discontent among activists and LGBT community in Lebanon. To have this, uh, these events cancelled. Yeah, which was weird because last year they had it. and Yeah, but they had a lot problem. of issues, but with the religious figures rather yeah, than the true. state itself. Yeah. That's true. Uh, okay, so let's look forward really quickly to what's going on this next week. So we looked up the law last night, and Parliament's mandate actually ends on Monday. So Monday is the last day for anybody to do any official business, and... The cabinet is meeting on Monday, right? Like in, a, in one last final session before they go into caretaker status. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Monday night at midnight, parliament's term expires. So the new parliament's term begins. And automatically, because parliament's term expires, that means by the constitution, the council of ministers, the cabinet is considered resigned. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody has to actually resign. It's just automatic. Exactly. Um, 
And then they go into caretaker status, which means that they can't like make major decisions. Basically, they they can maintain the state the operation of the institutions, and that's it. Right. So that happens Monday night, and then probably on Wednesday we're going to have the first session of Parliament. Well, what they're going to do uh, with Parliament is when they meet, it will be first under that it will be chaired by the oldest member, who is Michel Moore. Uh, and the first thing they're going to do is they're going to elect a speaker. That's going to be Nabi Berri. Come and on. The <laughs> Respect the democracy. <laughs> right, right. Uh, He's only been there for how long? Tw- 28 years? 26 years 26 now, I believe, years. since uh, 92. So 26 years. Yeah. That's yeah. Not long enough. <laughs> it, is, uh, it is quite amazing, yeah. Uh, the, the real question, though, speaking of uh, elections and democracies, is who's going to be the deputy speaker, right? Yeah. So right now there's a question, is that going to be Eli Fersli or mm. is it going to be uh, Elias Boussa? Or is it going to be Michel Moore? The, these are sort of the contenders. So the deputy yeah. speaker has to be an orthodox. That, that's how the confessional system works. So an, or, or uh, Anis uh, Nassar uh, from the LF from is the also... LF. That's what I think. I think it's probably going to be from the LF because, I mean, FPM has the presidency and they want, like, the other Christian, like, post in, in parliament. It's a bit... It's a bit too much, I think. Uh, I don't think and Michel Moore is a, a very long shot because he's not so significant anymore in, in the politics. Right, right, in right. the political scene. Uh, Firzli is is Hezbollah's guy. So if Hezbollah are powerful enough, I mean, Hezbollah meaning like eight, March 8th, Hezbollah and Birri. Yeah. If they are powerful enough, they can put him there. But it's usually someone who balances things out a little bit with Nabih Birri. I don't think it's going to be Firzli. Probably someone from LF, that's my guess. But who knows? My my guess is that they're they're gonna end up with Fersley, but any anything can happen. Uh, At least there's one post that we don't know who who's gonna take it, right? <laughs> it's true. It's, it's true. Interesting... It's, it, this is this is open right now. <laughs> <laughs> Bizarrely, okay. So uh, once Parliament meets, once they open up uh, and elect these guys, then there's binding consultations with the president, right? So basically, all of the blocks in Parliament are going to make the trek up to Babda Palace the presidential palace in Babda, and meet with Aoun. And basically, Aoun tries, theoretically, he gets a sense of who is most powerful, who is most likely to be able to form a government. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, we already know that's probably going to be Saad Hariri. So once the binding consultations are done, then Aoun will designate a prime minister, mm-hmm. uh, likely to be Hariri. And then uh, Hariri, or whoever it is, has basically unlimited time until the president cuts him off to try to form a new government. Mm-hmm. And that's really where the process gets bogged down, right? Yeah, things are looking better than expected for Hariri now with the meeting that he had with Jaja. It's going to smoothen things out a little bit with Berri's meeting with Aoun. I think things will go smoother than we expected maybe earlier before the elections because tensions were much higher. So. Right, this this week we saw sort of like a the, the rapprochement between uh, these, like, Exactly. Aoun and Berri have have had a terrible relationship for the past couple of years, yeah, really bad. if not longer. Uh, and and so they finally met, and they you know Berri said it was a very good, you know, <laughs> great meeting. They found the deal. They, they're striking a very good deal to every all of them, yeah. I think. Yeah, and then similarly with you mentioned uh, Hariri met with Jaja. That was their relations were also strained uh, because Jaja was alleged to have sort of supported the, the Saudi arrest of Hariri mm-hmm. back in November. And the forced resignation. Yeah, and they, they had not seen each other since then yeah. as well. So this is the first time that the two had met. 
Um, so, so it seems everybody's sort of like coming together, like, okay, we're going to have to work together. So let's, let, let's go ahead and, and bury, yeah, bury the hatchet and, and figure out where we can go from here. And so all of this is there, there's sort of like two levels of the jockeying going on right now. There's the jockeying to form parliamentary blocks. So we're seeing like how much, uh, you, you know, how big is the Merida block going to be, for instance, mm -hmm. I, I think Tony Frangier tweeted the other day that there would be seven members of the block. So I, I, I'm assuming that means that he thinks that Karami is coming along with him and maybe yeah, Jihad Samad. Uh, but we're not exactly sure. Uh, maybe Karami will join Makati and said, like, who knows, maybe Makati and everybody, there will be some sort of like larger, some larger block that will come out of this. Like uh, Berri was speaking about, uh, what, last week. Uh, we, we're, we're really not sure, uh, but that's going to be clarified this week. Uh, and also the other sort of track of jockeying is clearly for the cabinet positions, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, so we, we, we had something really, an, an interesting development this week, right? Yeah, we've had this whole debate about whether MPs should be ministers or not. Um, we know that the Constitution allows it in Article 28, but there is a trend to uh, move away from that because uh, there's a lot of pressure on MPs to be actually doing legislation which they don't usually do in Lebanon. And also oversight, right? Like the argument is, oversight, you, how, how do you oversee? Hold yourself accountable, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Maun yeah. um, called for that before the elections. Um, there was this push towards that. Um, and this, this has been like a policy of the FPM prior as well, right? Yeah, yeah. and they, they, they tried to pass the law in parliament, I think. Um, LF is completely committed to it. Yeah, They were before and they are today. Um, they, Jaja said, we will not have MPs as ministers. Right, which they then they didn't last time. The FPM also didn't last time. Yeah, but FPM this time and the Amal movement of Nabi are the two forces that are expected to to kind of oppose this separation because of Gibran Basile being a very central figure, uh, an MP, the head of the FPM, and someone who likes to be a minister. So it's he's probably going to be foreign minister again. Uh, what, what what was the thing that came out this week? Something leaked about the FPM reversing course on this. Yes, yesterday sources told uh, one of the main uh, TV channels that FPM are going to uh, revoke their commitment to separating MPs and ministers. So probably Alaoun and Basile are going to be in government. Like these are the two of the big names in FPM. Shamir Rukas is a big another big name. Naamat Frem is another big name. It depends. But a lot of uh, of these big shots in FPM are expected to be ministers as well if they have the if they take the decision not to separate them the jobs. Um, but what matters most is which ministries each is going to take because you know we have these four sovereign ministries: foreign ministry, defense ministry, finance, and interior. And interestingly, and sadly, these ministries are always distributed among the main sects in Lebanon. So but these are sort of like the prizes, yeah. right? <laughs> Since the Taif Accord that ended the civil war in 1990, this has, this has been the rule. Each of these ministries has to go to one of the main sects, meaning Mus Muslim Shiites, Muslim Sunnis, Maronites, and Orthodox. These are the... 50-50 Christian Muslim. 50 Christian, exactly. Right, right. And it's so like, but th this is, uh, it's been sort of like musical chairs, though, which sect gets which ministry over the past few governments yeah. has sometimes changed. Exactly. Right? But it's always these four ministries are divided amongst these four sects. Mm -hmm. Right. So the speculation that like Basile would be the foreign minister and Shamil Rukos would be the defense minister 
is out of the question automatically. Yeah, I think so. Un- unless like something really huge happens. <laughs> uh, unless they let go of really important things uh, in return. But I don't think anyone would accept to have both Basile and Shamil in two of the most important ministries. And foreign defense are the ministries that represent Lebanon in terms of like its political leverage. And it cannot be with one political party. It doesn't right. make any sense. And, and adding to that, the FPM is rumored to want to keep the uh, energy ministry which is not a sovereign ministry, but also one of the big prizes that's sort of outside of these four sovereign ministries. And they've had it for a long time. But regardless, all of this is really in the early stages, right? So everything that we're talking about, it's everything that you hear right now on cabinet formation, other than I think, you know, Sadri will probably be the, will be designated prime minister, really is speculation. Any sort of deal can be made right now. But this is also something that we're going to be keeping a very, very close eye on next week and the weeks that follow. Yeah. And by the way, before we end this episode, we'd like to tell our listeners that from now on, we'll be trying to focus on one topic in each episode. Yeah, this was a little weird episode, right? Yeah, like we, this we, all we had a lot of, <laughs> we, we had a lot to cover, though. I know, yeah. But from now on, based on the suggestions of many of our listeners, we're going to be focusing on topics and diving deep in them so that we give you a clearer and more sophisticated idea about each topic we're covering. And also, uh, we, we, we'd like to apologize. I think we have the band Stomp is performing above us right now. So if you've heard like random clashes and stuff, somebody's doing construction upstairs, obviously, right when we have to record. Uh, sorry about that. Of course, if you've ever been to Beirut or lived in Beirut, I think you understand what's going on here. You probably commiserate. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Please tune in next week. My name is Benjamin Red. My name is Nizar Hassan. And this has been the Lebanese Politics Podcast. The Lebanese Politics Podcast is brought to you by myself, Nizar Hassan, Benjamin Red. Produced behind the scenes by Susan Wilson and the music is by Omar El-Fil.